Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perchance you saw the coverage concerning the number of earthquakes that struck Southern California back last month, less than a month ago. And one of them, which struck in the Mojave Desert, north of Los Angeles, was said to have packed the energy of 45 nuclear bombs of the type that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of World War II that brought the Pacific theater of the World War to an end, to a close. That technology is old technology, but it still is a fearsome amount of power, destructive energy, destructive force. And I couldn't help but notice that days later, I saw this various accounts just less than, well, approximately one half week after the earthquakes, that there was a remarkable development in that extremely far-sighted visionary city that I was born in, Berkeley, California, known for extremely progressive thinking (laughs) in the most... Oh, flattering way that it can be put. Extreme leftism, communist activism, and so forth, synonymous with Berkeley. Affectionately known as Berserkly to some, but Berkeley, California, chose to step forward onto the world stage and become the first city in the United States of America to ban the use of natural gas in new low-rise residential buildings. And that was by a unanimous vote. Now, I actually am not opposed to that, per se, opposed to the idea of not using natural gas. I don't believe it should be dictated by government fiat, but... I personally am opposed to gas. I have my own reasons for not being thrilled with clean, cheap, natural gas. But they have nothing to do with the reasoning behind this, behind this outstanding visionary leadership on the behalf of Berkeley's governance. No, the reason that they chose to ban the use of natural gas in these new buildings is pertaining to global climate change. There was a statement from the mayor that went as follows, quote, we are committed to the hashtag Paris Agreement and must take immediate action in order to reach our climate action goals. It's not radical, it's necessary, end quote. Keep that line in mind. It's not radical, it's necessary. All manner of extreme leftist, socialist, communist, radical agenda items can be justified on this basis that it's not radical, it's necessary. What a wonderful breakthrough for Berkeley, for California, for this nation, because what happens out there, it has a way of making its way around the country. Yes, it is inspirational, breathing life into something, but this instead is doing the opposite.
Why is it that I'm opposed to gas personally as far as in home construction or in terms of purchasing a home that has natural gas? Why should I be concerned about that? Well, I just happen to think that the downside exceeds the upside. Yes, I know it's supposed to be so clean and inexpensive, but for me, those benefits, they just fall away compared to the downside. What possible downsides are there to the use of natural gas? Oh, asphyxiation of families due to leaking of gas, carbon monoxide poisoning, and then little matters of explosions of houses. Minor details. I remember a case of a propane tank in Washington State outside of a home that was, I believe, on an island. It was on a peninsula or an island outside of Seattle. And this couple had this home, and something caused their propane tank to blow. And all that was left of that home and that couple that could be found, I imagine there were bones, but splinters of wood. The explosion was so extreme from a propane tank. No, not a little propane tank used for a barbecue, a propane tank used to heat a home and so forth. But the force of that was so extreme that it was felt around Puget Sound. It registered on the Richter scale and so forth. Just extraordinary force. That was one propane tank. I happened to look at some extremely low-end, <laughs> inexpensive home options at one area in Southern California, and I was so disappointed at a couple things because this was well outside of Los Angeles. This was a rural area. And lo and behold, the houses were stacked one on top of another, so to speak, figuratively speaking, extremely closely packed one to another. And they all had natural gas. The natural gas lines ran through there. So that if there was an earthquake, <laughs> whether it happened to be a magnitude 7 or worse yet, anything above that, what could one expect might happen? Maybe it would happen with a magnitude 5 or a magnitude 4 rupture of natural gas lines resulting in explosions and fires absolutely on a horrendous scale and wiping out an entire community. So I wasn't too excited about that, nor have I been anywhere else that I have looked. But so many people are just so enamored with natural gas. So Berkeley, Berkeley is stepping forward to put an end to ban the use of natural gas in particular class of buildings, new buildings, but not for safety reasons. No, because of the Paris Climate Accords, the Paris Agreement. Oh, just outstanding, just outstanding. But speaking of treaties, because that was the Paris Treaty, the Paris Climate Accord Treaty, well, there was another treaty back in 1987 signed by President Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev of the Soviet Union. And this was to limit nuclear weaponry. Yes, it was an arms control pact, not a climate control pact, as if we can control the climate, but an arms control pact, as if we can, in fact, <laughs> control what our enemies are doing by signing pieces of paper. But it's a you know, noble notion, I suppose. So that particular pact, known as the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, back in 1987, 
Well, it has now officially ended. The United States of America, under the leadership of Donald Trump, has stepped away from that. Very, very, very belatedly, because (laughs) not the Soviet Union, but the free Russian Federation gangland totalitarian regime of Vladimir Putin has been shredding that treaty for years now. (laughs) And anyway, the U.S. government belatedly has finally ceased and desisted from being bound by that treaty. They gave, what was it, six months' notice before withdrawing. But Vladimir, Vlad Putin, man of the year, you know, has he only been man of the year once? I, I, I think more than once. And certainly deserving of a Nobel Peace Prize, no doubt. But Vladimir Putin, he stated most recently, just did this, in an official statement, quote, Russia will be forced to begin the full-scale development of similar missiles if it receives information that the United States has completed new systems. Outstanding. Outstanding. So, yeah, it's the United States' fault. Yes, we're the aggressor, not Vladimir Putin's <laughs> Russian Federation mafioso regime, KGB, GRU, FSB regime. No, it would be the United States of America is forcing this on poor, dear, peace-loving, peacemonger Vladimir Putin. Yes, it's exciting. Also, going back not that long ago, back when the Trump administration initially announced that we would be withdrawing from that treaty if Russia did not return to compliance, that we would do so within six months. At that time, right after that, Vladimir Putin and his top generals, so forth, they announced that they were developing these incredible hypersonic nuclear, not nuclear, nuclear carrying, nuclear launching weapons that were unstoppable and so on and so forth. But anyway, on it goes, all of the excitement between the Russian Federation and this nation. But of course, Vladimir Putin's a good guy. (laughs) You know, George W. Bush said he was a good guy. Donald Trump said he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He He just wants peace and prosperity for all people. Meanwhile, something on the downside in Syria. There were any number of people killed in airstrikes. These airstrikes were actually the work of Russian pilots flying Russian aircraft, but they were not intending, they were not intending to kill civilians. Unfortunately, in the fog of war, sometimes these terrible things happen. I do believe it was unintended, unintentional, accidental. I do believe that. And, but that doesn't mean that I'm correct. <laughs> so, for instance, one of the victims, a man and his greatly pregnant wife were killed, as was the baby, which was found alongside the mother. The baby that was in utero at the time that the bomb was dropped. But 
Russia has been linked, has linked arms with, has been working in cooperation with that outstanding regime of Bashar al-Assad there in Syria. But, you know, this matter of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's a very strange situation there. So, as terrible as Assad is, and he is, and in concert with Putin, nonetheless, what is the opposition? The opposition are Islamic destroyers. Not destroyers of Islamists, but Islamist destroyers who want to make Syria their base of operations. Take over Syria, make it their base of operations. Yes, ISIS, ISIL, so forth, but also Hezbollah and what have you. So there is this Al-Qaeda affiliate, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, HTS, and other assorted groups. And this is why I was so totally opposed back when we had another leader, another chieftain here in the United States of America, our commander-in-chief, Barack Hussein Obama, and Secretary of State John Kerry, and uh, they wanted to get involved over there, as did John McCain, very, very stridently, and I was utterly, totally opposed to the United States of America bombing there and providing arms to the rebels, and we didn't know what rebels were going to wind up with the arms that we were providing. Well, it did not officially happen, but in point of fact, nonetheless, a lot of arms did make their way there and did seemingly wind up in the hands of terrorists, of Islamist terrorists. Oh, it was totally unforeseeable, but nonetheless... Great things over there in the Middle East. Speaking of the great things in the Middle East and the Islamists, our president, no, not Obama, our president, Donald Trump, yes, he is using the presidential veto in very fascinating fashion. Yes, and he's using it on behalf of Saudi Arabia. That is right. On behalf of dear Saudi Arabia. Yes. Saudi Arabia, which was responsible for the assassination murder of the journalist, of the Saudi journalist Khashoggi, that is Jamal Khashoggi, that was committed at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last year. But courtesy of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. (laughs) But the Trump administration is all in to support Islamist Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, where, of course, Al-Qaeda originates from. Saudi Arabia, where the September 11, 2001 terrorist attackers originated from, Saudi Arabia, which beheads Christian evangelists from the Philippines and from South Korea and so forth. They haven't done it to any Americans that I know of because, after all, (laughs) we are huge supporters of Saudi Arabia. They owe their entire air force to the United States of America. The jet fighters, the state-of-the-art jet fighters, the munitions, the bombs, the training of the pilots, everything they owe to the United States of America. Why is it that we are so supportive of Islamist Saudi Arabia, which time and again has tried to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and annihilate the Hebrews, the Jews, the Christians in Israel? Why is that? Well, 
It's real politic is what it's about. It's oil, and it is immoral leadership from the United States of America. Immoral leadership of previous presidents and of the current president. But the president, he vetoed a provision to block arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Yes, he did. (laughs) But all in the best of intentions, I'm sure. Yes, yes. He had to use his veto to stop this terrible, odious blocking of these arms sales, so-called emergency arms sales to Saudi Arabia and to the United Arab Emirates. To the obscenely rich United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, nations that Trump company has ties to, is very interested in, probably has nothing to do with that. But nonetheless, our president has done this. Back in May, he also did the same. And he did that to force through, count them, 22 separate arms deals with Saudi Arabia, with Jordan, and with United Arab Emirates. Islamists all. And the only one of those three that has not been actively involved, not been involved in the multiple attempts to annihilate the Jews and the Christians from the Holy Land is United Arab Emirates. Little bitty United Arab Emirates mega-rich UAE, but to force these things through without the congressional review period of a mere 30 days, not even allowing that, just force this through. He used an emergency provision, not veto, but emergency provision to force that through. But, yes, That's the way things get done. (laughs) We have a president who can get things done. Yes. And the Trump administration, taking its lead from the president, it stressed that emergency declaration was required due to threats posed by Iran. Fascinating. Yes, brilliant. Meanwhile, <laughs> the, the hits keep coming. They just keep coming with this president. But So there were three separate resolutions vetoed by Trump concerning what is referred to as paveway precision-guided munitions that were earmarked, destined for Saudi Arabia and for United Arab Emirates. In addition to the detonation systems, the fusing systems for detonating these weapon systems, It also includes, this great paveway transaction, includes smart bombs. And there has been the concern, there has been the red flag waved, that there is extreme danger of the Saudi Arabians being able to manipulate and make use of extremely cutting-edge, state-of-the-art technology, technological secrets from these systems to produce their own bombs of this ilk. Oh, but that's not a danger. Iran is the danger. (laughs) 
Yes, Iran is the great danger. But as bad as Iran is, and it is, evil regime, evil Islamist regime, bent on the destruction of Israel, Saudi Arabia has not been an ally of Israel, to put it (laughs) gently. Nor has Jordan. They have both been in the thick of it, going back to not just back to 1948, but preceding 1948, linked in arms with the Nazi Third Reich. But 1948 onward, every war that has been waged against Israel, they have been in the thick of it. But Donald Trump thinks that this is in the national interest of the United States of America to support the Islamists because they are not Iran. Brilliant. Before I continue, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right, true, correct, good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is wrong, lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. Moving on, Afghanistan. Yes, where Americans continue to die, and ever so frequently, the cause of the death of the American servicemen is a version, if you will, of friendly fire, a very strange version that it's not accidental deaths. These are assassinations. These are murders, but committed by Islamists within the Afghan ranks, within the Afghani ranks. No, they do not limit themselves to murdering Americans. They also murder other allied forces, including even Afghani soldiers. But on it goes. So there were two more Americans that were murdered by an insider attack. Islamist who rained down fire from a guard tower upon our service members. Also, I've been appalled that our servicemen, not just stateside, but in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in places like that, when they're not out on patrol, when they're not out on missions, they frequently are unarmed. I mean, in the United States of America, they're always unarmed, unless they are engaged in some sort of exercise or other, or training or what have you. And they are absolutely (laughs) at the mercy of the merciless, vicious, ruthless destroyers bent on their destruction, whom we welcome into our armed forces and into our CIA and, and so forth. But additionally, there was a Green Beret, U.S. Army Sergeant Major James G. Sartor from Texas. And his wife and three children are without a husband and father. But that's in addition to these two service members. But speaking of Islamists and how wonderful they are, They have been bent on the destruction, the annihilation of Jewry and Christianity, not just going back to 1948, not just going back to World War II. No, 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 no. Going back to the inception of Islam via Muhammad, their false prophet. The whole warp and woof of Islam is destruction and annihilation of Christianity and Jewry and enslavement of the world. Oh, I know there are any number of Muslims who insist 
Islam is a religion of peace. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. It was created as an ideology framed as a religion, imitating various aspects of Jewry and Roman Catholicism and what have you, to try to pretend to be religious. But it's God, Allah, is Satan, and it's one prophet back there, that satanic false prophet, Muhammad. The entire DNA of Islam is bent on the destruction of Western civilization. But that's not to say that all Muslims are evil, all Muslims are bad. No, no. There are all manner of multitudes that are blinded to the reality, the true nature of Islam. And (laughs) vast multitudes of Westerners are persuaded by the brilliant efforts of the likes that I've referred to time and time again, the likes of George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, who was a chief communicator concerning this, that the Islamist terrorists were perverting the true nature of Islam, when in point of fact what they were doing was exactly representing and mirroring their great leader, that false prophet Muhammad. But the deadliest terrorist groups in the world, what are they? (laughs) How many of them are not Islamist? (laughs) Lots of luck finding ones that are among the deadliest, the ones that are committing the most heinous crimes, the ones with the greatest amount of casualties that they are causing. Lots of luck finding one that is not Islamist. So there's the ISIS, ISIL, Islamic State, Dash. I mean, it goes by different names, but it's all the same thing. And then there are the affiliated groups, the affiliates. In Africa, notably, Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab, affiliates of Islamic State. There's the Taliban and so forth. There are many, many other branches and splinters of these. And, of course, Hezbollah, Hamas, and so forth. But I found it fascinating that in one article that I perused that... uh, (laughs) the author never, ever referred to any of these Islamist groups as being Islamist. He did use the name Islamic State rather than using those abbreviations, those acronyms, ISIL and ISIS. But he never, ever referred to any of the multitude of these Islamist terrorist groups as being Islamist. Never. Never referred to any of them as being Muslim. Never. Just fascinating. (laughs) And even though they were responsible for, you know, such huge numbers of deaths. But anyway, I thought that was fascinating. I also thought it was fascinating that he made to do about groups that <laughs> they don't just pale by comparison, but they shouldn't even be in the conversation. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, he chose to bring them into the conversation. Those in Western Europe and North America that he described as far-right. And he was only able to attribute 17 deaths to them. Compare that with 
all of the thousands and thousands and thousands caused by these explicitly Islamist groups, none of which he could see fit to refer to as Islamist. Just fascinating. I mean, just in the interest of of truth-telling, no, truthful journalism, wanting to get to the truth and not a single syllable about these most deadly, most terrible, most dangerous, most evil terrorist groups. And they were all Islamist except for a sprinkling of communists. But moving on with the Islamists, India. India has extremely belatedly revoked a constitutional provision. A provision within its constitutional that has conferred very, very special, most favored nation, you might say, autonomous favor to Kashmir. Kashmir, which is a region of India along the Pakistan border that Pakistan claims and which is heavily Muslim. And it has enjoyed this incredible degree of freedom from Indian rule for decades upon decades. And there is a new sheriff in town, a new government in town, so to speak, in India. And it is Hindu. Shocker there, (laughs) right? But it is the, I cannot pronounce it, Bharataya Janata Party, known as BJP. And it is heavily associated with, affiliated with Hindu nationalism. And one of its promises during the campaign cycle was that they would do away with the special, as in the special relationship between Britain and the U.S., the special, most favored status of Kashmir. It's ironic that it has enjoyed this most favored status since it has been the most dangerous, bloody, terrorism-ridden part of India. Instead of enjoying some most favored status, instead of enjoying the greatest freedom, it should be the exact opposite of that. But breathtakingly, India's leadership has (laughs) allowed evil to fester and to flourish and thrive in Kashmir. Well, anyway, finally, belatedly, they have made the beginnings of a move to change the equation in Kashmir. So, it's not that they have eliminated this special status altogether, but they have revoked certain portions of Article 370 of the Constitution. But what does that mean? What does that portend for us? Well, India is a nuclear power. Pakistan is a nuclear power. Pakistan, armed by communist China and North Korea, and most favored nation status with the United States of America. What a strange situation there is. But Pakistan refuses to state that it will 
not use nuclear weapons if attacked with conventional weapons. That's right. India has pledged that, but not Pakistan. Pakistan, if it is attacked or if it is counterattacked by India, by India using conventional weapons, you can count on Pakistan to use its nuclear warheads, its nuclear armed missiles. These are just coming attractions, just (laughs) future attractions that this has been this particular incredibly dangerous cauldron has been bubbling for a long, long time. And this ridiculous idea by Indian leadership that engaging in this crazy hybrid of detente and most favored nation status and so forth for a portion of India that Pakistan wants and claims and is heavily Muslim, as Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia was heavily German, and as Crimea in Ukraine was heavily Russian. And what happened in those two situations? Well, Hitler, of course, took over Sudetenland with the agreement of the great Western leaders. Yes, And then he went ahead and he took over all of Czechoslovakia. Putin, dear Vladimir Putin, oh, he didn't do it, just just Russian separatists did it. No, Vladimir Putin's military took over Crimea and inflicted great losses, suffering to the Ukrainian peoples. This situation here, is not a dime's worth of difference. Pakistan is emboldened that a great, great many of the people in Kashmir are Muslim, and therefore it is theirs by right. It is Pakistan's by right. And this will probably be (laughs) in accord with what took place in World War II with Rhineland followed by Sudetenland, followed by all of Czechoslovakia, that subsequent to annexation of Austria, and then Putin here taking Crimea and attempting to take all of Ukraine has not accomplished that yet. That will probably not occur until he attacks Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Georgia, Moldova, along with Ukraine, wouldn't need to attack Belarus because Belarus is much more closely aligned with Russia. But anyway, here we have something that is undoubtedly going to happen. It's not a question of if there will be war there. It's a matter of when and how. And India has finally taken a reasonable action there. That's not to say that it will prevent violence, that it will prevent warfare. But continuing along the lines that they have been was a guarantee that there would be. Meanwhile, North Korea, which has been actively involved in arming Pakistan... North Korea, most favored nation, North Korea. Donald Trump's BFF, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, his North Korea, just a very little bit ago, a week plus ago, the North Korean communist regime fired two short-range missiles into the sea. Well, what can short-range missiles do? What danger is there (laughs) 
from those. Well, they could be used to destroy South Korea. They could be used to cause great destruction in Japan. They could be used on U.S. naval forces, but <laughs> it's nothing. It's, it's simply nothing. President Trump, he referred to previous short-range missile firings as very, very standard stuff. Very standard stuff. No problem. Right. (laughs) Anyway, in the Asian theater, what else is going on? Down under Australia, Australia, Crocodile Dundee territory adjacent to, but still quite a ways from New Zealand. They are a considerable distance from one another, but in the same general area. And both, of course, connected at the hip with UK and Canada, Australia, or affectionately known by some as Australia, it will not consider permitting United States missile bases to be built there. I don't know that that's a wrong decision for Australia per se. You know, as long as they are thinking along the lines that If we allow United States military missile bases here, that would be seen as a provocation by communist China and by the Islamist regimes north and northwest of them and so forth. So I can understand them thinking, no, no, we will never, ever suffer aggression from communist China. They would never attack us. We are only interested in peace and prosperity. We pose no threat to them. They will never, ever do anything to hurt us. We're an island, after all. We're a continent. What could happen? What's the worst that could happen? So let's not provoke them to attack us. I mean, I can understand that line of thinking. Thinking it is incredibly, incredibly wishful thinking, however. It's a pipe dream to imagine that there's no danger posed by communist China and by the other communist nations north, northwest of them, and by the Islamist regimes northwest of them. It is absolutely foolish to a fault. But I still can understand them thinking that. Even as communist China continues to make aggressive moves south, into the South China Sea, to lock up all of the South China Sea, and to control all of Asia. But still, they don't want to get involved And they want to remain neutral. They do not want to cause any kind of provocation. So I can understand that. So that's fine. They will be just fine. But meanwhile, United States Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, he has stated that he, meaning the Trump administration, is in favor of deploying United States missiles to Asia within months of now. So I wonder where they are intended to be deployed. I just, I don't know. Where will they be? Meanwhile, speaking of the UK, the new, brand spanking new Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, what a great guy he is. (laughs) But anyway, he is going to lead the charge with regard to resolving this Brexit crisis, this exit from the European Union by Britain, resolving that in the next three months. Yes, outstanding. Look forward to that, former London mayor. Look forward to you doing that. Very exciting. (laughs) He sacked more than half 
of Theresa May's cabinet, which is fine with me. I'm totally okay with that. But what kind of a great guy is this former mayor of London, Boris Johnson? Well, earlier this year, he presided at the launch of the World Islamic Economic Forum in London. That's right. Let me just repeat that for you. He presided at the launch, the formal launch of the brand spanking new World Islamic Economic Forum. Tremendously exciting stuff. So we can expect all manner of great things from Boris and the UK. Meanwhile, our president is trying to have his choice for the next director of national intelligence, none other than Representative John Ratcliffe, Republican from Texas, to take the place of outgoing former Senator Dan Coats. couple issues are, one, U.S. Representative Ratcliffe has no previous intelligence community experience, knowledge, know-how, what have you. And he is (laughs) a loyal Trump backer. Now, for many, that would be the, the big strike against him. But And then perhaps they'll take his appearance into account. He reminds me of Steve Carroll, or however that's pronounced, the comic actor. But anyway, I I take a dim view of our intelligence community. I just happen to feel less than enthused about our intelligence organizations, the CIA and so forth. But... If it's going to be someone heading them up, I wonder if this is really the man to do it. I wonder if he's not just being rewarded for his loyalty to the commander-in-chief and is, in point of fact, less than the most qualified or best person. However, at least, hopefully, he's not a John Brennan. That is, not one who has converted to Islam not an Islamist mole. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.